0: Night's tonight. And it's going to happen again and again. Has to happen. Nice night. Miami is a great town. I love the Cuban food, pork sandwiches my favourite. But I'm hungry for something different now.
1: Dexter is driving alone through the colourful, vibrant Miami night, observing life, people drinking, dining, all blissfully unaware of the killer passing by so close. But they're safe, He's not interested in them beyond casual regard. No, the object of his interest is to be found at a children's choir recital, conducting a group of smartly dressed young boys. Dexter observes Mike Donovan from a distance, planning his move. After the recital, Donovan returns to his car and starts the engine.
0: Your mind now so do exactly as I say.
1: <laughs> Dexter sits up in the back seat and throws a cord around Donovan's neck. He instructs the man to drive and directs him to a remote abandoned building. As the car stops, the headlights illuminate several open graves. Dexter drags the man into the building. In the dimly lit interior, Dexter is instructing the terrified man to look, but his eyes are tightly shut. Dexter's demeanour is calm and very much in charge, but the man's refusal to open his eyes to see what Dexter wants him to look at provokes a dramatic outburst, the anger having clearly been simmering just behind the normally cool, controlled exterior. Look.
0: Oh. Uh, yes. (laughs) No, no. It's horrible, isn't it? Isn't it? look at what you did! Look, or I'll cut your eyelids right off your face.
1: Not much of a choice. Donovan opens his eyes, and we see the well-decomposed bodies, carefully laid out on the concrete floor. Donovan is whimpering now, closing his eyes again and shaking his head on the verge of tears. He starts to say a Hail Mary, but Dexter slaps him, telling him that never helped anybody. The tension is palpable as the man tries to beg for mercy. Dexter responds by asking if that's what these little boys did. Beg. The man starts to crack, saying he couldn't help himself, and pleads for Dexter to understand. Ironically, Dexter does understand. He understands completely, but never children. Not like him. He stresses, never, ever, kids. Why, the man asks. I have standards, Dexter replies, as he plunges a syringe into the man's neck, rendering him unconscious instantly. We cut to Donovan's point of view, looking up as Dexter leans over him, wearing a face shield and an apron. Donovan is naked and restrained to a table, with cellophane wrapped around him, a gag in his mouth. Dexter makes a cut in the man's cheek with a scalpel, and carefully takes a sample of blood and drops it onto a microscope slide. He pulls the mask down over his face before using an electric carver on the man's throat. Welcome to the Dissecting Dexter podcast. Darkly Dreaming Dexter by Jeff Lindsay. The first season of Dexter kicked off on October the 1st, 2006 with this pilot episode entitled simply Dexter. This pilot was directed by Michael Quester who directs five episodes this season. He'd um, directed Michael C. Hall before having worked on Six Feet Under. This episode was written by James Manos Jr. who was also an executive producer this season. Manos did... Excellent work also on The Shield and, to a lesser extent, on The Sopranos, two more excellent shows. So, welcome indeed to Dissecting Dexter, a new podcast looking back through Dexter's journey, starting right back at the beginning with this, the pilot episode. I saw a niche in the Dexter podcasting market. There is another podcast called The Dexter Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Headington, That started during Season 3 following the show as it aired, but there isn't a podcast that has looked at the show from the very start, so here we are now. I hope the show will encourage new viewers to, to start watching and listen to this podcast as they go, a kind of viewing companion if you like, but I also hope it might encourage those who've already seen the show to maybe go back and re-watch. It's certainly a show worth re-watching. If you've seen up to Season 4, you know where Dexter is now, and I've already found it interesting going back and rewatching the pilot to see what he was like back then. kind of reminder. But it's a show that's really worth getting stuck into. Right from the off, for me it was clearly a very different kind of show, with an anti-hero that does some morally questionable things, but I liked how it challenged our morality as a viewer. We root for Dexter throughout, no question. He's killing bad people, right? people who deserve it, yet killing is wrong. It challenges us to uh, put aside our own moral standards and root for this guy, and we do. We follow his journey and want to take out these, or rather we want him to take out these terrible people who've got away with murder. We want him to develop his humanity and become a better person. In this inaugural Dissecting Dexter podcast, I'll be recapping the episode, commenting as we go, with a bit of summary at the end. I'm settling for a full episode recap, certainly for this pilot, but I think in future I'll be going more for a a brief plot review and spending more time just uh, discussing, dissecting storylines, characters and so on, rather than just recapping. But for now, we have no established storylines to discuss and the episode's just introducing us to the characters and setting things up. Um, A little bit of background about me, just briefly, Uh, my name's Gareth Watkins, I live in East Yorkshire, England, father of two boys, film fan, Call of Duty fan, birder, Um, I do another podcast called Gareth's Waste of Time, in which I talk about TV shows and films, with a good chunk about Lost, because, well, that's my favourite show at the moment, favourite current current show, I should emphasise, but uh, we have some fun there, talking about some great shows, the Waste of Time is available on iTunes or at garethswasteoftime.blogspot.com. But back to Dissecting Dexter. This podcast is totally in its infancy, so very much subject to change and improvement. Hey, this is your show too. You support it by listening, so please do let me know if there's anything you'd like to hear or change. Email anything you want to say about the podcast, or indeed Dexter itself, to dissectingdexter.com. Or well, one word, Dexter at gmail.com. Hell, send an MP3 voicemail if you like. Before we get back into the pilot episode, I'd like to say a little about spoilers. With this show, my aim is to rewatch Dexter, episode by episode, season by season. I know some of you will be up to date with Dexter on TV and will have seen up to season four. Others may just be embarking on the Dexter journey from scratch. I may not have seen very much yet. My plan is to avoid spoiling. As we go along, we'll talk about things past, but not refer to plot developments that are coming. Keep things spoiler-free, and just take it episode by episode. But let's stop dallying and get stuck back into the pilot.
0: This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast.
1: I've just described to you the opening sequence of the episode in which we witness a classic Dexter stalk and kill. He picks a target someone who's slipped through the legal system and gotten away with murder. This is part of Dex's MO, where he only kills those who themselves have killed. He stalks and subdues them. He takes them somewhere quiet where he sets up his killing table, although quite often the location he chooses has something to do with the person he's getting rid of, some connection with what they've done. He restrains the uh, naked victim to the table with them tightly wrapped, usually in plastic film, He then presents them with their crime, usually with some kind of evidence, or at least a photograph of the victim or victims. In this case, though, he goes the whole hog and digs up the bodies themselves. The final task before killing his victim, Dexter always takes a sample of his victim's blood by cutting their cheek with a scalpel and placing a drop of blood on a microscope slide, and then the victim's killed. Donovan was a typical Dexter kill, and the opening sets us up nicely for how he does it. He's calm and controlled, but the fury and disgust at what Donovan had done couldn't be contained when the man wouldn't open his eyes to face it. Credit to Michael C. Hall, who plays Dexter. His performance can be so charming, yet he has this ability to transform into this cold killer and really really depict how he walks that, that tightrope of control, never far away from snapping in rage at what his victim has done of course the hypocrisy of it can be challenged dexter himself dexter himself is a killer but he rationalizes it by believing he's almost doing the world a favor by taking these people out he mentions to donovan in this opening scene how his little corner of the world will be a neater happier place with him out of it disposal of the body Dexter mentions to Donovan that he'll soon be packed into a few neatly wrapped rubbish bags, but we'll learn more of this as the show progresses. So, moving on. The next scene sees Dexter on a boat, presumably the next morning, out on the river, full of the joys of spring. Cheerful, waving to people on a boat passing the other way. You'd not think he'd just cut someone's throat with a cutter and chop them up into pieces. Such is Dexter. Dexter. Clearly, his emotional state is not like yours or mine, or at least I hope not anyway, I've got some really screwed up listeners out there. Dexter's voiceover gives us a little overview of his character. He says he doesn't know what made him the way he is, but whatever it was, left a hollow place inside. He talks about being very good at faking normal human emotions, and we learn that he was a foster child, his foster parents being Harry and Doris Morgan. Both are now dead, although Dexter acknowledges they did a wonderful job of bringing him up. We'll see how there is some element of irony in that statement in regard to Harry's fathering. We see a flashback of a young Dexter, maybe, I don't know, eight or nine years old, sitting on a boat with Harry. A neighbour's dog has gone missing. Harry has noticed there's something different about Dexter, and he says he found the grave of the dog. The boy gives an explanation that the dog was barking all the time, yapping and disturbing Mum, who we learn is ill. Harry quickly interjects pointing out that there are a lot more bones in the grave than just one dog. Incidentally, young Dexter is very well cast. The kid really looks like a young Michael C. Hall. Then we come back to the present and Dexter returns to his apartment where he immediately heads to an aircon unit in the wall. He takes off the cover, reaches in and removes uh, a fairly ornate wooden box. He holds up the microscope slide he made with a drop of Donovan's blood. He places it in the box, and we see a lot of others just like it. Clearly, he's been doing this for a long time. Dexter's voiceover talks about blood, and how it sometimes helps him control the chaos, the chaos in his mind, we assume, before we hear the first mention of the code of Harry. He says the code is satisfied, and we'll come to learn how vitally important this code is to Dexter, and how it governs the way he satiates his need in due course. We learn that Harry was a cop here in Miami, and that he taught Dexter how to think like one and cover his tracks. New viewers to the show will instantly pick up on the contradiction. A police officer, okay, he was Dexter's foster father, but still a cop. But a policeman is helping someone like Dexter, knowing he's got these dangerous urges, helping him to avoid discovery. I think it's fair to say he must have loved Dexter very much. Dexter picks up an answerphone message from a girl who we learn is Dexter's foster sister, Deb. She asks him to meet her at a crime scene, and boy is she a potty mouth as her answerphone message reveals as she pleads with him to meet her.
0: Pretty fucking with
1: cheese on top. Dexter tells us how Deb has a big heart, but keeps it hidden. He says how she is the only person in the world who loves him. He says that if he was capable of having feelings for anything, it would be for her. We cut to a cordoned-off motel crime scene, and Dexter walks over to a girl dressed in not very much. This is Deb. She's wearing an impossible pair of hot pants and a skimpy top. Dexter's wry humour comes through as he says, "'Geez, Deb, where the hell do you keep your gum?' Deb explains they found another hooker in the motel pool, chopped up into pieces. This is the third one in five months, so they deduce there is clearly a serial killer at work.' Deb doesn't know much about the case, though. She's working vice, explaining her lack of clothes she was working undercover. Uh, She reveals that LaGuerta sent her to this room to be out of the way of what was going on outside. This is the first time that we see Lieutenant LaGuerta, the person in charge of the homicide department. She's standing outside talking to someone. Deb clearly doesn't like her, and it sounds like Deb isn't respected in the department. She reveals how she wants to move from vice to homicide. Deb wants to know if Dexter can reveal anything about the killings. She says how he gets hunches about murders that uh, often prove uh, fruitful. Of course, we already have a good inkling of why he seems to be able to have such good insight into murders. He goes over to look at the crime scene and we see a covered body in a drained swimming pool. A grinning Asian man walks up to Dexter. This guy is a character that will become a lovable favourite in the show. He's Vince Masuka, played by C.S. Lee. He's another forensic investigator in Miami PD, and very much the office joker, although something of a pervert. His cheesy grin to Dexter is followed by a lewd comment about Deb looking hot. Masuka wonders why Dexter's there, considering he's the blood spatter expert. He says he doesn't need to be there because there is no blood. Dexter's taken aback, and taken aback further when he sees the body. Indeed, there is no blood. The girl has been almost surgically cut into neat pieces, some of them wrapped. Dexter's fascinated from his killer's point of view. No blood, he muses via voiceover. Why didn't I think of that? He says this is unique and wonders how the killer gets rid of the blood. A third man is here, he's Angel Batista, a homicide detective, who comments on how good shape the body's in, but that the head is over there. Masuka's still beaming from ear to ear. A thought that occurs to me here is how it's been said how police will often joke at gruesome crime scenes. It's a kind of defence mechanism to prevent the darkness smothering them and to remain detached from the unpleasantness and nastiness and evil that they're seeing. Other shows depict this, shows like The Wire. I think it was in um, a Michael Connolly novel that this sort of thing was talked about. But whether this is why Masuka's often grinning at crime scenes, I'm not sure. He's a jovial, jocular kind of guy, but maybe he's perfected the art of remaining detached. Heck, maybe all forensic officers have to do that. They're not all emotionalist serial killers after all. Back to the crime scene and we learn that they think the killer wasn't able to complete his work and was maybe interrupted. There's an unfinished cut on one of the legs to make them think that. As Dexter walks away, he passes La Guerta talking to talk into the press. She winks at him and he smiles back. Amusingly, his voiceover says, Oh, I wish she'd stop doing that. It's one of those mating rituals he says that he doesn't understand. This gives us a little more insight into Dexter's psyche. LaGuerta could have been just giving him a friendly wink. Yet Dexter's so emotionally undeveloped that he interprets that as her fancying him. He's thirty something, but excuse me, it, it seems he's had little or no experience with the opposite sex. He doesn't understand it or seem to want to understand it. Um his thoughts return to the bloodless body pieces. He's in awe of the person who did it. And he muses that their abilities exceed even his own. We cut to the police department building where Dexter arrives carrying a big box of doughnuts, distributing distributing them among his colleagues. Deb appears in police uniform this time and tells Dexter that he's that she's now on the case, as assigned by the captain, not LaGuerta, who apparently isn't best pleased. Dexter takes a donut to the records office where there's a lady that he knows he asks her what's new and she hands him a file saying one of these days you're going to tell me meaning tell her what he does with all these files presumably she she gives them to him quite often he says that blood spatter doesn't take up all of his time and he likes to see if he can help out with other cases this lady is called Camilla and she seems to have been slightly taken by Dexter's foster father Harry uh, when he was alive that is and now helps Dexter assuming he's doing genuine police work on these files. In the office, Angel Batista gets the final donut, and Dexter looks down at the box and observes inwardly how empty the box is, just like he is. At his desk, <coughs> excuse me, Dexter spins around on his chair, surrounded by photos of blood spatter, as an irritated man marches up to his desk and demands to know where he's been. This man is Sergeant Doakes who clearly doesn't like Dexter. Dexter knows it, but takes a bit of pleasure in winding him up in return.
0: Where the hell you been? Crime scene? What about these? The hotel cokehead murders. This dealer and the girl. Oh. Well, this hallmark-looking couple didn't die by the hands of a professional. No, it's just child's play. Messy work, all that blood on the walls looks like a finger painting. You give me a fucking creep. you know that, Dexter? Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. Fuck you. Okay. Uh, is there something I can Yeah, you can give me your fucking analysis on the blood spatter on these killings. You think I'm here to invite you to my nephew's bris? I didn't know you were Jewish. Shut the fuck up and write your report already. Don't even know why I need you. Grab a crayon, psycho, and scribble this down. Rival dealer came in, two scumbags slashed to hell, dealer stole the drugs. Wham, bam, Done. And I don't give a shit what you say, because that's what happened, and that's who I'm looking for. Hey, we're looking for a motherfucking thief dealer. You got it? Okay. Sure. I guess. But I should get over there. Then get over there already, you fucking weirdo. I need it quick. I'm on it, Sergeant. Sergeant. The only real question I have is why, in a building full of cops, all supposedly with a keen insight into the human soul, is Doakes the only one who gets the creeps from me?
1: This exchange is typical of those between Dexter and Doakes, so if you enjoyed that, you can look forward to more expletive, peppered conversations in the future. Doakes is a great character, well played by the actor Eric King, who has a great look that he keeps giving Dexter as if to say, I've got my eye on you great stuff. We cut to the crime scene they were discussing and Dexter has an elaborate reconstruction set up with red wool emanating from the top of a pole carefully placed, the suspected point of impact. The wool being the path of the blood drops. Dexter's taking photos and giving an attending police officer um, an explicit description, shall we say, of how he thinks the murder happened, uh, how the cuts were made and how the blood got to where it is. His verbal diarrhoea reveals his own enthusiasm, his extreme enthusiasm for and knowledge of his subject. We then cut to Dexter driving his car, eating his lunch, and we find out that he's doing a recce on his next potential victim, Jamie Jaworski. He opens the file Camilla gave him earlier, and we learn that Jaworski, who works as a valet, was arrested for the murder of a young mother of two but his lawyer got him off on a technicality, something to do with a search warrant. Dexter pays a visit to Jaworski's house and breaks in to take a look around. Interestingly, he waits until he's inside before he puts on his rubber gloves, having already picked the lock and let himself in. Bit of a production bungle, maybe. Shouldn't he have put the gloves on outside? Anyway, inside, Dexter finds a bedroom with various s equipment uh, chains and things, a computer, fetish magazines, and while he's looking, we get my favourite piece of Dexter soundtrack music playing, the blood theme. We get another flashback on the boat, with Harry talking to a young Dexter again, asking him if he's ever wanted to kill something bigger than a dog like a person disturbingly the boy says yes but no one in particular when asked why he didn't dexter tells harry that he thought his, or rather he tells harry that he thought he and mum wouldn't like it you can see from harry's face that the cogs in his head are whirring giving it a lot of thought he puts his arm around dexter in a nice fatherly way as if to reassure him these little flashbacks gradually build up a nice picture of how Dexter developed as a killer and how his foster father, a police officer indeed, developed the code that would keep Dexter safe and undiscovered. We cut to Dexter walking along a busy street observing the people, whining and dining. He talks about how sex is something he's never understood and thinks the actual act of sex seems very undignified. But he realizes that he has to play the game he needs to maintain a front of normality and he says that after years of trying he thinks he's found a suitable woman for him and so we meet Rita a woman who Deb rescued from a domestic dispute and was introduced to Dexter we learn that they've been dating for six months she's perfect Dexter says because in her own way Rita too is damaged we meet her two young children Asta and Cody Interestingly, Dexter seems to have a connection with the kids, and they certainly seem to like him. We learn that Rita's husband was a crack addict and used to beat and rape her. Now she's got no interest in sex, which suits Dexter just fine. They go on a date together and go to eat some crab, where Dexter Dexter makes a funny observation.
0: Needless to say, I have some unusual habits... Yet all these socially acceptable people can't wait to pick up hammers and publicly smash their food to bits. Normal people are so hostile.
1: It's a funny moment, seeing all these people feverishly bashing their hammers like that kids' arcade game where you have to hit things with a mallet that pop up out of the, out of the game. Mid-crab bash, Dexter notices flashing lights and policemen across the way. He leaves Rita waiting while he goes to see if he can help. Incredibly, it's another murder scene, with a woman sliced into pieces and Batista's there, attending the scene. Mostly the same MO, surgical cuts, no blood, some pieces wrapped, some not. But there are some differences this time. One of the cuts is rough, one of the legs has a section of bone completely clean, all flesh removed. Dexter, of course, is absolutely fascinated, and proposes that the killer is experimenting trying to find the best way. But they wonder what he's done with the woman's head this time. Later in the car outside Rita's house, Dexter is expounding to her about how the killer's an artist, and demonstrates a cut on Rita's thigh with his hand. It quickly seems to become, well, a bit more like a caress, which seems to surprise both of them. Rita's first to react though, saying she's not ready, and beats a hasty retreat. Dexter's baffled what he did wrong. And while he can't get those body parts out of his head, he wonders why he touched Rita that way. Dexter returns to his research into Jamie Jaworski, who he discovers runs a very nasty rapes, uh, rape website. Dexter takes a look and observes the, the most vile video involving our friend Jaworski and the girl he was accused of murdering. Dexter's seen enough to have no doubt now that Jaworski fits him with the code. Definitely killed that woman and is a suitable target. Another flashback and we see Dexter in his early teens now. Harry comes in and unfolds a roll of knives. Dexter's knives, some with blood on. Dexter claims it was just animals. Harry says he thought they had this under control, presumably referring to Dexter's urge to kill something. But then Harry starts to talk about something that happened to Dexter before they fostered him. We assume something so terrible that it gave rise to these dark urges in Dexter. We get no specifics and Dexter remembers nothing. Harry starts to formulate a way forward for him or else these urges will only get worse. Okay. So we can't stop this, but maybe
0: we can do something to channel it use it for good. How can it ever be good? Son, there are people out there who do really bad things terrible people and the police can't catch them all. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're saying they deserve it. That's right. But of course you have to learn how to spot them. How to cover your tracks. But I can teach you.
1: Dad.
0: It's okay, Dex. You can't help what happened to you, but you can make the best of it.
1: This is the birth of the oft mentioned Harry's Code, a set of rules that govern Dexter's urges and help him stay off the radar. We'll be learning much more about this in future episodes. But moving on, we cut to Dexter making preparations for what he calls his ritual. We see him going over building plans and preparing the killing room, plastic sheets, duct tape. Next, we cut to Dexter having lunch with Deb. They're discussing the prostitute killer and how his MO is evolving. Dexter thinks he's looking for some inspiration. Then Deb reveals something she had heard the coroner say about the last victim, something about cell crystallisation. The body parts were cold, and Dexter has a realisation, and revelling in its beauty, at least beauty to him as a fellow killer. The cold slows the flow of blood. Dexter theorises that... The killer has a refrigerated truck, a safe, cold, mobile environment, probably stolen. Cut to the homicide office, where a woman, we assume Mrs Donovan, is inquiring about her husband being missing. Dexter muses that he believes he covered his tracks and feels safe, but Doakes spots uh, spots him watching the woman and challenges him. They go into a department briefing. LaGuerta addresses the ranks about the prostitute murder case. Deb speaks up with the theory she discussed with Dexter at lunch. LaGuerta takes the piss out of her, but Dexter gives Deb a quiet word of encouragement, and she proceeds to reveal the theory that the killer is using a refrigerated truck. She explains the thinking behind the theory, but LaGuerta belittles the notion and ignores it. So we get our proper, our first proper look at uh, LaGuerta. Bit of a tongue twister there. Um, She was pretty rude and dismissive of Deb's suggestion, even though it was backed up by good reasoning. Did she feel threatened in some way, like her leadership was being questioned? She's a woman, maybe, in a prominently male-dominated environment, certainly in positions of power. She was pushing for the team to look for a witness they assume exists, but they don't know for sure. She opted to stand by that rather than entertain Deb's theory. Arrogance on her part, perhaps? Early days to truly assess her character, but first impressions aren't good. It's nice to see Dexter giving brotherly encouragement to Deb. Despite his lack of emotions, he does seem supportive and protective of her. After the briefing, Dexter is encouraging Deb to pursue looking for the truck when LaGuerta comes in and asks Dexter, Dexter to come to her office. Deb's pissed off and storms out. In LaGuerta's office, Dexter gets grilled about his deductions at the cokehead murder scene earlier the one that uh, Doakes sent him to. He maintains it's a crime of passion, Dexter that is, and Dexter suspects an ex-boyfriend to be the killer. LaGuerta is persuaded and sends Doakes to check out that possibility, something Doakes isn't exactly chuffed about. As I said, the relationship between Doakes and Dexter is a source of great entertainment this season. Doakes has a real problem with Dexter and hates it when Dex scores a point off him. Dexter just wants to stay away from any kind of suspicion, so a feud with Dokes is not really what he wants, but he can't help but wind him up on occasion.
0: You're listening to Dissecting Dexter.
1: Dexter's been doing his homework on Jaworski and is lying in wait for him at, at an old building where Jaworski goes to steal copper piping. He baits Jaworski to walk into his trap. A photo of the girl he killed is hanging up. And while Jaworski's distracted by this, Dexter sticks him with a syringe, rendering him unconscious, in the same way he did with Donovan earlier. And so begins the final stage of the ritual. This time the victim is stuck to a table, with duct tape rather than plastic film. Perhaps Dexter hasn't quite settled into his final M.O. yet. He takes the strip of tape off Jaworski's mouth and tells him to talk, taking his usual drop of blood. Fuck! Talk!
0: talk. What, what do you mean? I
1: think
0: you know what I mean? No. Oh God! Talk to me about Jane Saunders.
1: Okay. I did her. How? In a movie. It's not film. But I'm not sorry. Of
0: course not. No, I'm not sorry either.
1: The cleaver comes down, and that's another slide indexed his box. While he's clearing up the body parts. His mobile phone rings. Covered in blood, he answers it. It's Rita. She seems a bit weird and it looks like she's done her hair. Does she have something in mind? She invites Dexter to come over. Oi, oi. On his way, Dexter pulls over in the car and takes a moment to look at his new blood slide. A pair of truck headlights loom up behind him. The truck slowly steers around and Dex sees it's an ice truck. No way, he says, and starts to follow they reach a dead end actually I should say Dexter's suspicions aroused because it's night time and there can't be many ice trucks driving around that part of town at that time of night so Dexter follows as I say they reach a dead end Dexter stops a little way back while the truck turns itself around as it drives past astonishingly a severed head bounces off Dexter's windscreen cut to a short while later the head's being taken into evidence and LaGuerta talks to Dexter about what happened. LaGuerta is all kind of girly with him and does seem to have a small crush on him, perhaps adding credence to Dexter's suspicions earlier when he when she winked at him. She comments that it's funny. Funny that this happens just after Deb shared her refrigerated truck theory. Dexter tells her that Deb's good and LaGuerta should give her a chance. LaGuerta points out it's Dexter who's good. Turns out Dox has picked up the killer in the cokehead murder. It was indeed an ex-boyfriend, just as Dexter called it. She gives Dexter some doe-eyed looks, makes a slightly flirty remark or two, and even strokes his arm before Dex manages to take his leave. Arriving at Rita's house, he's invited in. The kids are sleeping at a neighbour's house. Rita's wearing a dressing gown, and her body language is nervous. It does seem she's got something on her mind. She tells Dexter that she doesn't want to lose him. And that she wants him. She lets the gown drop. They start kissing and end up on the sofa where, um... Things... things look like hotting up. Dexter looks a bit like a rabbit caught in headlights, but saved when the phone rings. Cody's been sick and Rita has to go pick him up. Rita seems to genuinely like Dexter, while obviously struggling with her own inner demons resulting from the abuse she suffered. She's obviously keen to take things slowly and uh, only progress things when when she's ready. So far, though, it seems Dexter is just using Rita out of convenience. Her previous lack of interest in taking the relationship to any physical level has suited Dexter perfectly, but now things are taking a different turn. (laughs) Poor Dexter just isn't too sure how to handle it. I think it's fair to assume that he's probably a virgin. Or is that reaching a bit too far? No, maybe not. He returns to his apartment knowing he's had a close call but smiles because he's... yeah, like any lad. Experimenting with women for the first time he's quite enjoyed the making out. His attention is drawn to his fridge where a small doll's head is stuck to the door. He opens the door and sees the rest of the doll on a a shelf inside. The doll's been cut into pieces.
0: I suppose I should be upset, even feel violated, but I'm not. No. In fact, I think this is a friendly message, kind of like, hey, want to play? And yes, I want to play. I really, really do.
1: And that's the Dexter pilot. When I watched it for the first time, I was quickly hooked. I was fascinated by this character, who works for the police by day, yet uses his resources there to help his uh, his dark needs that he satisfies by night. We got introductions to the other key characters. Deb, LaGuerta, Batista, Rita and Masuka. Of those, we saw a bit more of Deb and Rita. Rita seems to have her own emotional journey ahead of her, while Deb has a quest to be taken seriously and become a respected homicide detective. A respected detective, indeed, that her dad would have been proud of. There could be some historic daddy issues there that we've yet to learn about. But of course, it's Dexter who provides the most interest. He's obviously a man with something very, very dark inside him. Something... Something created by a terrible event in his past, something so bad, his mind has blanked it out. He's someone devoid of normal emotion, someone unable to feel anything for anyone else other than Deb. He said that if he was capable of feeling anything for anyone, it'd be Deb, but I think he showed enough this episode to indicate that he already has some genuine feelings of affection for her, but Maybe he doesn't realise it. He's so emotionally empty that he failed to recognise it. Dexter needs to at least keep up appearances in order to fit in. Avoid arousing suspicion or, uh, even worse, discovery. He needs to get better at faking normal emotions if he's going to keep up the facade for very very long, certainly for the long term. That scene with him dishing out doughnuts in the office seemed very forced on his part. Like he felt it was necessary for acceptance, and in order for him to be liked. We discover at the end of the episode that the killer knows who Dexter is, and might be toying with him. Where this will lead, we shall no doubt discover in the next few episodes, but Dexter clearly isn't frightened. Does he even know how to be? He relishes the encounter with someone who is like him, and wants to, re- wants to interact. Does he consider him a peer, even? But it's this journey of Dexter learning about and discovering his emotion and humanity that forms the underlying story arc for the show. And is, for me, more fascinating than any of the serial killer or other plots that come our way. That's not to say there aren't any that are any good. Quite the opposite. If you've just discovered the show, let me assure you, we've got some fantastic stuff to come. If you have any comments or thoughts about this episode maybe you want to preempt episode 2, which we'll of course be covering next time, maybe in, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, then please email them in to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. You can also send an MP3 to the same address, or if the MP3 file is a bit big, you can send it for free via www.sendspace.com. You can stay in touch with the show on Twitter, by following at Dexter and maybe bookmark the blog dissectingdexter.blogspot.com as we go along I'll be posting more on there, running a few polls and stuff so it might be worth bookmarking for future reference. So that's it for this pilot. Um, In the scheme of things a good solid episode does a great job of setting things up, introducing us to the characters and certainly for me at least making me keen to see the next episode make me keen for wanting more wanting to find out more about this amazing character of dexter morgan and i hope it does you too and that uh, you've heard enough in this podcast to want to subscribe and download episode two which as i say will be coming up in a couple of weeks uh so in the meantime thanks very much for listening and i shall speak to you soon
0: Sometimes I wonder what it would be like for everything inside me that's denied and unknown to be revealed. But I'll never know. I live my life in hiding. My survival depends on it.